0: Two, one, and I'm live. Hey guys, my name is Bruce, and welcome to Convo Courses. Every week I teach about security compliance and open topics on cybersecurity. So if you have any questions about cybersecurity, how to get into cybersecurity, any questions about um, security compliance, this is a, an awesome time to ask somebody who's been in this field for 20 years plus now. Uh, so I want to Talk today specifically about one particular set of security controls. But before I tell you about security controls, let me tell you what what it is security compliance is. Well, it's one aspect of cybersecurity. If you're somebody who's just coming into this field and think that cybersecurity is all about hacking or software uh, or some kind of complex technical um, stuff that you have to do on computers, that's part of it. I mean, that's one aspect of it, but just like anything, uh, it's very broad. Just like if if I if you somebody says, Hey, I work in construction, that's a very broad term, right? They can be uh doing pavement, they can be putting up framing, they could put do roofing, they could be the designer, the architect. Just like uh construction or any other large field that you're in, cybersecurity is also that broad. So cybersecurity is not just you know, the foundational aspects, the architecture aspects, the technical aspects, you know, there's many different aspects of it. The part that I'm talking about, the part that I'm an expert, subject matter expert on, is known as compliance. And so compliance covers many different areas. Let me just, let me kind of enlighten you on what compliance is. Let me switch my screen real quick so you guys can get an idea. I just want to kind of get a visual to let you know, like, what is compliance? Well, compliance is composed of many different aspects um, with compliance. You've got requirements. You've got governance. You've got standards, rules, regulations, policies. All of these are part of of cybersecurity. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, "Well, Bruce, like this doesn't sound super technical," um, it's it's not hands-on technical, but you do have to know um, IT. You, it doesn't like a lot of people say, "Yeah, you can get into security um, as a novice." Like From the beginning you can't absolutely you can um you can get in with no experience as a matter of fact but you can't get in with no knowledge right you have to have some knowledge coming in which means you have to do your research you have to study you have to um do what it takes to know basic information technology and that that includes things like troubleshooting computers how computers work how firewalls work how networking works how cloud computing works you got to know the basics about how that stuff works I'm not hands-on with all this stuff. I'm not hands-on with cloud stuff. I'm not. I, it's been a minute since I did hands-on firewall, any kind of firewalls. I'm not hands-on with a lot of things, but I could tell you. I, I know what firewall rules are. You know, I can ma- navigate myself through a Linux or Unix system. You know, so although I'm not super hands-on technical on many different things, and and most people are not. Like your firewall guy probably can't configure a router. You know, your your router switch guy can't. Probably can't uh, do um, an ASA firewall or a VPS, uh, you know. So you've just like I'm just trying to explain, like, where, what does technical even mean, you know? So um, you can get in this field. There's many different aspects. We're not all hackers. Security compliance is about making sure an organization fits the requirements. Like if it's a bank, they have to meet certain federal requirements, right? So think of it like that. If it's a hospital, there's certain requirements that they need to do in order to make sure that they protect your medical information. So that gives you an idea of what compliance means. I'm talking specifically today about one aspect of security compliance that's dealing with the federal and state government. And actually, a lot of governments all over the world do use the standard that I'm about to show you. Let me show you which one I'm talking about here. It's known as the NIST 800 compliance. And so, this is if you've ever, all of us, first of all, this touches everyone. Okay. Nobody's exempt from this. Anybody in the United States, I mean. Uh, And if you are in another country, it, you have your own, your country has its own type of compliance. So, let me, let me kind of give you a bird's eye view of what I mean by compliance and what, what, what I do and kind of things that I have to know as a compliance expert so i have to know these controls right here so the what you're looking at here on the screen actually let me switch my screen here real quick um so what you're looking at here are all the security controls that i have to do as a subject matter expert in nist 800 is what it's called so nist 800 covers things like access controls like making sure that only the authorized people come into our or our system that can even touch our system Um, AT controls, which is uh, training, making sure that all the people who have access on our network have training, proper training. Uh, AU controls, which is event logging, audit logging. You may have heard of it. That's when the system crashes, when the system has hackers on it. We have to go to the logs of the computer to make sure that those are on there. So my job is to make sure that an organization is meeting all of these different controls properly. Like it's not enough to have it turned on your auditing logged on and turned on on your server or your endpoint device or whatever, router, switch, whatever. I also have to make sure that the organization uh, has a policy in place um, so that when the next group of people come in, they can meet that policy properly. I have to also make sure that they're monitoring those logs because what good is the logs if the person can't, is not going to to do those logs. Now, now that I've explained a little bit about what uh, um, compliance is, security compliance is let me deep dive into one security compliance group of controls that i haven't touched on before i've talked about ia controls i've talked about ir controls i've talked about ma controls and if you're wondering where you you know it where i'm talking about this stuff mostly it's on youtube but i've started expanding this if you want to like get a very much deeper dive into this go to ComboCourses.com. you'll find it there i also have a book if you want to like really get into this if you're really trying to get into this field i've got a bunch of books out there about this stuff that you can kind of get a deeper deeper understanding of what, what it is I'm talking about. And What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to deep dive into one of my books. I'm going to actually go into one of the chapters of one of the books I've written about security compliance known as the NIST 800. So let's go into that book right now. Let me see if I, I, I've already prepped it here to get it ready to do this. Okay. That's one of the books. Okay. Here it is right here. I'm gonna to talk to you guys about what's called S uh SA controls. So SA controls not something that's very popular. This is not hacking. You know, this is this is this is why or people don't want to do this this work. Like you might be thinking, like Bruce, like man, you make a hundred thousand dollars, you're working from home, blah, blah, blah. The reason why people don't want to do this is because this right here, this is called system and services acquisition. It's not this is not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not fun stuff. This is not like this is not um hacking right hacking is so exciting and like you're a genius because you hacked the system or whatever but system acquisition is not so not so uh not so glamorous you know what I mean? <laughs> that, it is what it is but that's why they pay you the money because you're going to you have the patience to actually know this stuff you know so essay let's let's get into this uh if you want to understand sa controls acquisitions think about What happens when an organization purchases or acquires new equipment, new services, right? Think about all the things an organization has to do in order to have new services. And if you're thinking, of, well, Bruce, my my organization doesn't really have these services. We don't really have. yet. they do. Every organization has to acquire. The DNAs that we live in is nobody is inventing their own router. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, They're going to buy a router from wherever. Nobody is. Nobody's gonna be can be can afford to be a subject matter expert in everything. No matter how brilliant your organization is, you've got to have business-to-business transactions with another organization. Whether it's a service now, or a CSAP, or it's routers or switches or hubs or cloud computing, your organization is using another another organization's expertise in order to get by. And this is where. We as security control, uh, security admins and compliance people have to make sure our organization is doing what they're supposed to do whenever we acquire new services or new systems. SA controls is breaking up into three parts. All right. Now, this is how I understand it. Now, if you if you like have been confused about SA controls and you can like kind of you can understand like physical controls and you can understand, you know, that's easy. Let's just protect the physical boundaries all that kind of stuff that's like some of it's like self-explanatory sc controls is like protecting the network si controls is like per- making sure that the data integrity is protected you know the au controls event logs that's that's all self-explanatory but when you get into these types of controls sometimes it just it seems a little nebulous it seems like outside of our purviews outside of what we do but let me just break it down to you very quickly so sa controls gets into these three things. Like when you think SA controls, you need to think about these three things. Acquisitions, um, software engineering, and system development. So software development, system development, and acquisitions. That's purchasing. So acquisitions, let's break that one down first. That means purchasing uh, new equipment or new services. So and when i say new equipment or new services what i mean by that is like if you if your organization bought a firewall that that counts if they bought a um a router or a switch they bought new servers they bought new endpoint uh, desktops laptops phones whatever that's actually they purchased something so what what do we need to do as security people to make sure that we've at our organization is doing what they're supposed to do because they can't just go to best buy buy a bunch of of computer i mean they can but like sometimes if your org if your if your data is very protected you can't do that like the government can't afford to just go to best buy and buy a bunch of laptops right because they have to have make sure that that system is going to be covered by the vendor if it breaks down they got to be able to go back to dale and say hey dale like this thing's not working properly this component in the system's not working properly so as security people we have to make sure that the supply chain is not at risk like when we purchase something we got to make sure the organization is not at risk, and how do we do that? Is by SA one, SA two, and SA four. SA one would be the policy of our organization. The policy has to say, okay, whenever uh, our organization purchases any kind of equipment, it has to be it has to be reviewed by us. It has to be reviewed by upper level management. That's basically what a policy will say. It would go into greater detail than that. But let's look at SA two. So SA two is allocation of resources. What does that mean? Funding for systems and services acquisition, sustainment of supply chain related risks throughout the system uh, and system development lifecycle. OK, let me let me break this down for you. What we're saying here is that what we're saying here on 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 allocation of resources is making sure that our system it's making sure we have the money to purchase the equipment and making sure we have the funding to maintain those systems from the time that we develop the system to the time it, it goes away. And a good example of that is back in the 90s when I first started this. That tells you how old I am. Uh, is when they would sometimes they would develop a system and then they wouldn't have enough money to do the security for it. <laughs> I know this, this sounds crazy, but that this is actually what happened. They they would have enough money to build the system and everybody would be excited, oh yeah, we're gonna build this system. And then they wouldn't allocate money, they wouldn't put money. Allocation means put money aside to actually fund the rest of the project. <laughs> they wouldn't have enough money to fund the rest of the project or do the the proper security because sometimes they just wouldn't know. Like, you know, ignorance is bliss until the bliss is done. You know what I mean? <laughs> they get to the like middle of that system and it's like, oh, we don't have the funding to sustain the system anymore. So SA2 is just making sure our organization has enough funding. Uh, to do that and so you might be thinking well bruce what does that have to do with security what does that have so us as security compliance people we're we have to get with the people who are purchasing these this equipment and make sure that it has the funding and it's just it really for us it's a checkbox like this is a whole nother organization that's going to do this this is a whole nother you usually have a whole nother acquisition team that is responsible for this and they might invite you into their meetings and say you know like you might have a configure it's called a configuration management meeting and you'd be part of that meeting and allocation of funding is just making sure that it's there right and um in this day and age you don't typically have problems like that unless it's related to some extracurricular stuff that you didn't you didn't uh, account for that happens quite a bit so funding you're sitting in the meetings. You're just making sure as a cybersecurity person that this, this system is properly funded. That's that's SA2 right there in a, in a nutshell. And, and that would be confirmed with the team that actually allocates the funds. And that would be confirmed. And with a simple attestation, by the way, that means that they just said, yep, it's fully funded from, from the time we're going to start it to the time we end it. And you as a security person might chime in and say, well, okay, do we have funding for uh, the security accreditation of the system, because that's going to take a while. That means that we got to go through the entire process. It's going to take us 18 months to actually make sure that all the controls are in place. Do we have funding for that? That's something that I would ask on, on a meeting for a new system. So that's SA2. SA4, let's talk about that one. Acquisition process. This one's just making sure that your organization has a process of acquisition. They're not just sending a dude to Walmart to buy a router. They're not just sending a dude to random stores in other countries to buy equipment that might be have have bugs on it when you're on a security, you're on a secret classified network and you're buying stuff from China or something, right? Now, you might be arguing, well, everything's bought from China. So, Cisco. Let's let's take it from from CIS, a Cisco router. Okay, so a, ris- a Cisco router it have might have parts built in Taiwan or China or wherever. Right? You you these days systems are built from all of, chips come from this country. The the manufacturing of the box comes from this country. But what happens with certain routers and switches if it's a high enough level, it's an enterprise level uh, firewall or enterprise level switch or router, or whatever? It goes through what's called the Common Criteria process. It's vetted and tested. So that to make sure that there's no back doors on that system, there's no software that might, and, and if there is, they can turn it off. You know, if there's features that's reporting back to some cloud service in Samsung or cloud service with some other country or some organization they don't trust, they can turn that off. That system has to be vetted. That's part of the acquisition process. We can't just go buying routers and switches and firewalls from anywhere, but especially if we're dealing with the government any kind of government. They're not just buying stuff from just anywhere unless they really just don't give a damn or they just really don't know what they're doing. You know, you have to have an acquisition process. So, SA2, acquisitions. Now, let's keep going. I'm going to ch- show you guys um the next part of this which is system engineering. And I'm I'm not going to stay too long on this system engineering piece, but I just want to to let you know, like give you an idea of what I mean by system engineering. So, system engineering in security in cybersecurity, we are supposed to be a part of the process from the start of that system to when the system is decommissioned. What do I mean by that? So when they first start setting up a system, they ha- if your organization is not doing this, then there's going to be problems, okay? When you first set up a system, when you're first developing the system, when you're even conceiving the system, you at some point, you've got to bring security people in and say, okay, here's uh, the proposed systems. Here's what we here's the mission of the system, here's what it's going to touch, here are the sites, right? And this the cybersecurity person from the very beginning is a part of this what's called the system development life cycle cycle, the SDLC. And and it's just all it means is we we acknowledge that the system is not going to be around forever. We acknowledge that the system has to have ongoing maintenance. Throughout the life of the system, we acknowledge that at some point we may have to have patching to to upgrade operating systems. We may have to we have to have funding to make sure that that's there. And security people, we're thinking about, OK, making sure that we were if we're purchasing it, we're purchasing it from secure sources, making sure we have enough funding to maintain this. Because if it's on Windows, we know it's going to have patch Tuesdays, you know, every other week or whatever. We know that there's going to be zero day exploits. We have to make sure that there's funding there. And then also making sure that this system can uh, have adequate security controls, because you'd be surprised how many systems can't you literally can't put certain security controls on that system. You can't put, say, encryption on that system as security people during the system development lifecycle. That's one of the things we have to think about. Wait, is this system compliant with the level of encryption that we need to have on it? And if not, then we can't get this system. We have to get, we got, maybe we got to go to another vendor. I know you guys want to get this other vendor, vendor A, but they don't have the proper encryption that we need as a federal system. So system development life cycle, we got to make sure the engineering is sound. We got to make sure that the system can do things like privacy, uh, can do things like encryption and things like that. And, and when it's decommissioned, we're still around a security people saying, OK, this system is obsolete. The vendor no longer supports it. We've got to we've got to shut it down. We're part security has to be a part of the whole process from the beginning of the system to the death of the system, to the decommissioning of the system. Now, another thing that SA Controls covers is software engineering. Software, software engineering, software development speaks for itself. It's the development of new software. Now, this doesn't apply to every system. Obviously, if your system, if your organization doesn't do software development, you know you you there's a lot of things here that you you probably don't have to do. But even if you purchase software from somewhere, or if you acquired software from some code from somewhere else, you've got to think about the software, the security of the software. So sa S A ten S A eleven covers things like developer configuration management. Um, That's ensuring that code and systems um, and the system is developed and goes through a configuration management process. And and what that means is you have a meeting. You have security people in that meeting. You have um, making sure everybody in that meeting uh, knows what's going on, making sure that there's proper documentation for the source code, documentation for uh, certain aspects of that software. So software development is a part of SA Controls. So SA Controls, once again, just to wrap it up, is about three things. If you're wondering what this is about, there's three things you need to keep in mind with SA Controls. And that is software development, system development, and the last one is, you guys know what it is? acquisitions. So I'm going to open it up to any questions you guys have. Any questions at all? Let me see. i got a few questions here, people watching uh, on uh, TikTok here. Let me see. Oh, by the way, this this is coming from a book. If you guys are interested in the stuff that you're seeing here that breaks it down very clearly, this is from my book. It's um let me, let me show you where you can find this book. If you look, link in description, link in my profile if you're interested in this, if you're very serious about getting this, this type of stuff, let me show you how you can find this book. If you type in, if you go to Amazon, it's on Amazon. It's actually on my site too on uh, ComboCourses.com. Uh, if you just type in cyber security, what's not cyber security, I'm sorry, NIST 800. I'm typing cyber security so many times and it's NIST 800. Uh, you'll find my book, and this book, by the way, is also in audio form. If you if you're a listener like me, I love listening to books. Let me show you where. Let's switch this camera over real quick. If you if you like to listen to books, then this is where it's at right here, and um, it's on Audible. Sometimes, if you're if you are new to Audible, you can actually get the book for free. You you will log in; they'll give you the book for free and then um you've got membership there and then all the books that you buy after that are have some kind of a discount and then they give you like credits i've been having audible for many years so i'm a real big fan of audiobooks in general um and this is one of the best unfortunately owned by amazon in my opinion i wish that there were more com- competitors out there for audiobooks but anyway so yeah here's the book right here this is walking you through audio so you can like be driving or whatever and, and listen to this book right here but also I have it on Kindle if you want to grab it there. And then also on paperback, if you want to, if you just rather have the book in your hand and like write write in it and stuff like that. So there it is right there for everybody who's interested in it. And if you want even deeper, um, more of like a walkthrough, like I'm doing here, I've got combocourses.com. If you want it for free, if you're on a budget, listen, that's why I do these. If you have any questions what whatsoever, um, this is a great time to opportunity to to contact me, like ask any kind of questions that you have, or give me an opinion, a talking point that we can can talk about, because I love to hear from other professionals um, that are in this field. I learn all the time. That's why I call it combo courses, because a lot of times when I'm teaching, I'm learning as much as I'm giving out, and I I really enjoy the conversation of it. Um, Lisa said, hey, Lisa, how are you doing from Indeed? I remember you. (laughs) That's wild. Uh, I feel like I know you. Uh, always love your content. Finally made it over to your live. Oh, thanks for thanks for joining. I feel kind of nervous now that you're here, though. <laughs> People I know from uh, LinkedIn are on here. It's crazy. Uh, let me see. Uh, somebody from TikTok said, um, can we see can we see these controls just like this? Where can we see these controls just like this? OK, let me give you guys a few resources if you want to see controls besides my book. Uh, I'm going to give you got some real good resources. Um, let me switch over the camera here real quick. Just bear with me. Bear with me real quick. Here we go. Um, yeah, okay. So first first place that I would go is here. This is on um, the NIST uh, NIST.gov site. And let me see if I can give you a, a clear picture of where to find these uh, for those of you who are Watch me on LinkedIn. Here's here's the link right here. Here it is right here. Um, if you go here, you will find the NIST 800 controls. This is the best place to get. This is the absolute best place. of better, much better than my book. Not my book is a little bit better at breaking it down because some of the language in NIST 800 is a little bit. It's like it's 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 for like it's for. I would want to say it's for professionals, but the way it's written is like a PhD. It's very academic. So the way I put it in my book is in a way that is more practical. Like I give you, I cite examples and stuff like that, and I break it down, things you really need to know as a security professionals. Um, so that that um, that's the difference between my book and what you're going to see here. But that being said, this is definitely the best resource for you to go to. And it's NIST.gov, CSRC.NIST.gov. This is probably where I go all the time, and and it has a breakdown of all of the controls. And it, and what you'll see is things like this. So, well, let's see. We were just looking at SR, SA controls. So, let's look at SA controls. So SA, let's go to SA, SA1, which would be policies, and see how this breaks it down. It's really it's really cool how it breaks it down. It, this is the language you get from the NIST 800 right here. It's just the way they word it is kind of confusing sometimes. In my book, what I do is kind of put it in plain English, and um, I've just been looking at this for so long. I know how to decipher it. I, I just understand what they're what they're trying to say, um, and then I also give you like different site, different examples. But anyway, that's where you find it from right there. Let me see if I got any other questions here. Thanks for that question, Mr. Cortez. Somebody said uh, what's the most challenging aspect to the ISO role? that's a that's a great question. Um, the most challenging aspect of the ISO role I get this question a lot. Um, the most challenging aspect and, and I know there's some ISOs watching me watching me so feel free to chime in guys. Um, let me tell you my for me, the biggest challenge has been um, dealing with difficult people. Uh, because as ISOS, we're we're, it's different from a normal cybersecurity person. Because a typical cybersecurity person is very, like they're focused. Like if they're a security analyst, they're focused on just the data, and that's their job is to look at look for threats, look for security incidents, and and do incident response. You know but you're just focused on the data and you're not really if you work with anybody else it's with operators it's with it's with leadership it's reporting dealing with the people who report, all the you're dealing with a bunch of other professionals that are kind of adjacent to your job so they know they, they they it's very serious when you deal as an ISO you you have to talk to the C-level execs sometimes upper level management technical People who are in the weeds on firewalls or software engineering or whatever, and then you got to talk to sometimes the customer. And so the challenge is that you have to, you have to be able to speak all these different languages, and you got to deal with different, different uh, attitudes, and some of the attitudes are difficult. Some of the people are a little bit difficult, and you're, and. If you work in retail, then you know that there's a certain there's certain types of people you're going to have to deal with. Right. You got one purview of people like if you're in management, you got you're dealing with upper level management and then people who you have to supervise. Right. But with an ISO, you, you have to talk to difficult people at the C level, difficult people at the management and difficult people at your level, difficult your own peers. You have to deal with difficult people in other fields, IT people, scientists sometimes, and difficult people there, and difficult pe- difficult customers. So you have to be extremely high. You have to have a high level of emotional intelligence. And this is something that Western culture, in my opinion, doesn't put a lot of emphasis on. Like, we think a lot about, wow, Elon Musk, man, that guy's genius. Like, he he's, he's really good at engineering. Like, he understands the engineering piece. He's really good at businesses. He has multi-billion, like we we put a lot of emphasis on mathematics, on uh, if a a person can understand network engineering and, and software development, but we don't put a lot of emphasis on one of the most important things, which is emotional intelligence. And that's, it's super important to have when you're dealing with lots of difficult people. So you have to have a high degree of emotional intelligence, and that takes a Emotional intelligence takes knowing yourself, which a lot of people don't master until they're never, they never master it, especially in America. Like we have a lot of people do not, do not know themselves, do not, cannot separate their emotions from their, from their, from professional situations, cannot, you know, articulate their, their, they can't separate from their emotions. So they get emotional and they get in their feelings and they get lost you know but you can't as an iso doing this job you can't do that you don't have the luxury of losing your mind on somebody that's the hardest part for me let me see i've got some other isos here uh he says uh let me show this on the screen the biggest challenge i've encountered are the difficult people there you go like bruce says emotional intelligence is the key to success here exactly it, it's it's the most difficult part like the 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 technical pieces is, is it's easy you know you have the opportunity to learn stuff like i can always google stuff and learn how to do it right like if i don't understand i've done firewalls before but i don't understand palo alto firewalls when they're asking for a certain rule i just google go google or bing or whatever duck duck go whatever and then find out okay what is this rule they're talking about like oh okay i know what rule i, I get this okay this makes sense you know, the technical piece, you can always figure it out, right? Um, the the actual controls themselves, you can, it's all here. Like, it's on the NIST website. I just showed you, like, where to find it. But, man, nobody can prepare you for dealing with an irate C, C-level exec who, who's ready to burn everything down. Nobody can, can prepare you for a, a, a smart aleck system admin guy who, who thinks he's the smartest person on the planet and the world revolves around him. You know what I mean? What can prepare you for that? Nothing. You go on a meeting and suddenly this dude who knows everything, who's, who thinks he's God and and wants to tell you, you know, like, then what can prepare you for that? You just have to have patience. You've got to see things from that person's perspective. It takes a little bit of love, you know, because you got to have empathy for this person who's losing their damn minds because they can't separate their emotional, their feelings. From what's happening. SVT says, uh, one thing I find helpful from an emotional perspective is reminding myself that they aren't attacking me. They are upset that I'm telling them. Yeah, they want to hurt the messenger. They want to kill the messenger. That's another challenge. This guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> See, this is, yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone. They want to kill the messenger. It's like, no, you know, you get, and you've got to tell them, you got to explain, hey, listen. I'm with you. I don't agree with this, but here's what they're saying, you know, and you as a, as an ISO, you can't, you've got to, you got to realize you're like the pipe. You're, you're, you're just the conduit through which the information and the rules and the regulations are coming through and you just need to articulate it properly to them. So, and then when they get upset, you just, you've got to just remember, like SVT said, like, This person is upset with the situation, and maybe you put yourself in their shoes and you understand, like, okay, I would be upset too. But, and that's for me, that's how I put myself in their shoes and say, Listen, I agree with you, but here's what the regulation says. How can we attack this, right? How can we, we, how can we together attack the situation and get through this together? You know what I mean? So, that's that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, thanks for that, SVT. I really appreciate that, Mike. Thank you for your comment. Um, Lisa said, uh, awesome. Wondering more about, wondering more about, uh, the CMMC2 actually. Yeah. So I talked about this one before. Um, let me see if I can grab, let me see if I can grab my old slides on this. I did like a whole slide presentation on this one. I can very quickly explain what SVT is. I mean, SVT, oh my God. Uh, uh, CC, CMMC is, um, it, it's something that I, I personally have not done a, a CCMC, but after doing a breakdown of it, it's like a watered down version of the NIST 800. Um, it's it's a ve- it's a simplified breakdown, and it's something that it's something that is used by contractors, um, people who contract with the D- Department of Defense use it um let me see if i can if if i can find my my slide deck on it and i I will like go through like very quickly how how it works in my understanding of it It, it's it's it wasn't too complicated when i went through it give me give me a second and i actually i've got a couple other let me read through a couple of other these uh folks talking to me here um svt says um some of these cats think Think I <laughs> I got I get up in the morning and I try to think of ways to make their lives more difficult. Man, <laughs> I, hey, man, I'm just telling you what the government wants. Exactly. Exact, I know exactly how you feel, SVT. I, I, you're not alone. Um, they, they take it personally and then they want to. I've had people. One time I was going to a site and we were just doing like a simple assessment at the site. And um, it was in Australia. It's a government site, and um, we we'll, won't we'll go into much more detail than that. So I'm, I'm flying, flew to Australia. Great, great country, by the way. Beautiful people. I got sexually harassed in the airport, but that's a whole other story for another time. <laughs> it was glorious, anyway. So I go through there, and um, I'm at the site. And the scientist didn't show up because he was so disgusted with our he was so disgusted with the fact that we were telling him security controls that um, he just didn't understand why we needed them. And this is in the early 2000s. So security wasn't as prevalent like people hadn't been people weren't getting hacked every three seconds, you know, like they are now. So we were just explaining them, no, you can't you know, here's what you got to do. Here's what's going on and stuff and this dude would not he didn't want to talk to us he, he was upset he was irate and i had that problem with a lot of this the scientists that were on the sites that i was going to it was like damn why are scientists like this I and mean, i know now they're not always like that but wow at the time it was like it was brutal man uh so don't some don't like isos because of how 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 things need to be yes um and i'll i'll say like this I understand why some some people don't like ISOs and some people don't like security compliance, because we're we're telling them what not what they can't do. I understand why they hate us so much, but it's because uh, we have some people who shouldn't be in compliance because they don't have the patience, they don't have they don't have empathy. They come in there like you will do this, and I and I met some people like. Position I had a couple, position like one of the positions I had. This dude, he was very. That's how he was. He he's like he's the cops. Like he shows up, busts down the door. Hey, you can't do that. You can't. Me, I'm a reporter. Like I'm not trying to tell you. You can do whatever the hell. My attitude is this: it you can do whatever the hell you want, but the government is telling you to do X, Y, and Z. Just like your taxes. You know what I mean? If you choose. To not pay your taxes. (laughs) That is up to you, brother. But I'm telling you that the IRS said this and here it is in writing. And I agree with you. I don't want to pay taxes either. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to pay taxes either. I don't want to do this, but we're all in this together is how I approach it but some people like, you will do this. And if you don't, we're gonna shut everything down. Some of the compliance guys are like that. And that's why IT guys hate us so much. The normal IT guys hate us because people like that do. And so they tend to, when you come at them wrong, they, they just like, they start hating all of us. And that's part of the problem. Uh, let me see, Mike Mike says, I'll buy donuts and take them out for lunch. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'll I'll do that. You know, I'll just make, like for me, it, I found that like w- when I approach them as like, listen, this is we're going to fix this together. Let's get to let's let's see if we can get this. Because like what I t- try to get them to understand is like, look, no system is going to ever be 100 percent compliant. There's no such thing as a 100 percent compliant system. That, and that is not what we're trying to do. That's not what we're trying to do. It's not that defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do. We are trying to manage the risk. That's it. There's no need to hide security controls from us because we're on the same team at the end of the day. All, all I'm trying to do is help the organization, help us manage risk. So if some if some uh, auditor or assessor comes in here, all of our ducks are in a row. If we can't meet a certain control, we have a document for it. If we can't meet a certain thing, we're saying, listen, here's how we're going to do it. You know, here we have a plan. We know what it is. Here it is right here that's all we're trying to do is security people compliance people so uh let me see somebody said lisa said uh um i think i think i get you i uh, i work part time as a server as a server in uh a really great sushi spot in chicago and i believe in believing when i say the messenger always gets killed and and not, yes yeah, and i that's why trees server so well, because man, I know this person has to deal with assholes and I don't want to be one of those people to make your life harder. I'm not here. I'm here to just eat some good sushi. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to make your life harder. You know, I know your, your life is hard. Why would I, why am I going to put my problems onto this person who's just serving the food? And it's the same thing with compliance. Like, listen, I'm just the messenger. I'm just bringing you, I didn't make this so, do you want to get mad at me because there's hair in your sushi? I didn't make it. The guy in the back, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, the government's saying to do this. I, it just like let's get in this together. We're in this together. Let's let me give you a new order of food, or let me give you your money back. Let me let me or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a way to approach the whole situation. I think that's that a way that that will for me to me for me personally. That's how I do it. And it's, it's gone pretty well, usually, for me. Um, have to manage your customers, yes, and, and manage expectations as well, but also not piss off the, co- the co-workers and chefs at, at the same time. That's exactly right. This is a great analogy because as a compliance person, we're just the messengers. We're the server. We're bringing the information to them and saying, listen, here's, here's what we need. We're a bank. Here's what we need to be compliance with in compliance with. Does it is this dumb? Does this not make sense that we have to encrypt everything in and out? You know, I agree with you on on some aspects of that. But here's here's why we're doing it. And that's another thing we educate. Like we're the what I'll do is I'll educate them. Here's why, because there was a hack here, there was a hack, there was this hack here. This is why we have to do this, you know? And and we're managing also managing their expectations as well. Because we don't want to overpromise and under deliver like when you're talking to your management and we're and I, I'm i talking to the IT people and the IT people are like, listen, I see why we're doing this, but I'm telling you this is we can't do this right now. You know, so I'll go back to my to management or the customer and then I'm managing their expectations because I'll tell them exactly what the IT people said and then pull a meeting together and so that we're all on the same page. So there's no unrealistic expectations from the government itself who's saying, yay, yeah, verily everyone must do this, but also managing uh what we need to do from the IT, the people out in the field doing the work. So yeah, this is let me see. I got so many people on TikTok asking, holy crap, this is crazy, this is was wild. Um, I want to go into cybersecurity. I have zero experience. What what is your advice for me to start? Okay, so, and I'll just, I'll quickly get do this, this one. And then, uh, and if anybody else, uh, security people, if you guys have any kind of um, tips for this person who has zero experience, please chime in, I'll read it. So this person has zero experience and is trying to get into cybersecurity. And what is my advice? I've been doing this for 20 years. And what I would say is you have to, there are entry-level positions in cybersecurity, especially now. Um, there's so many jobs. You you while you're exempt from maybe not having as much experience or any experience for that matter, you're not exempt from not knowing the knowledge. Everybody has to come in knowing something. So what I did when I first did this is I was I did um, security controls or I did IT uh, certifications and I used those as a teaching mechanism for myself. I used CompTIA A and a, a lot of people that are that I that I like, I love their content, but they keep saying they're talking mad crap about the CompTIA certifications, and that hasn't been my experience. The CompTIA certifications, the way they break down the um, the domains for what you need to know, is excellent. And also, everyone knows what IT, what cert, what CompTIA is. Everybody in the industry, whether it's in banking, whether it's in government, whether it's in um, the healthcare industry. Everyone knows what CompTIA A+ Security+ Plus is. Um, let me give you a, a breakdown of what I would recommend to you. If you are, if you are brand new to this, what would you want? Wh- where would I would suggest that you go to? So you can follow along with me. I'm I'm talking to somebody here on, on um, TikTok. So let's let me show you the site that I'm talking about. It's called CompTIA. CompTIA, and I think I just typed it wrong, so I'm going to a fake site. CompTIA, hopefully it doesn't forward me to uh, a bad site. Get in trouble, get shut down. Here it is right here. This is CompTIA.org. Here it is. CompTIA. And so CompTIA has professional level, high level certifications, but they also have what's called core certifications. So what you're looking at, CompTIA.org. And let me just make this a little bit bigger. So you've got core, you've got infrastructure certifications, and you've got uh, a couple cybersecurity certifications, and you've got uh, some additional professional level certifications. If you are starting from scratch, you want to start with one of these. This one is just to learn. Like if you really know nothing at all, like if you are in roofing and you have a no understanding of what computers are you don't know the terminology you're completely lost but you want to get into this this is purely for the for the the fundamentals like basic terminology uh of the I never took this certification before but this is what they're teaching basic terminology infrastructure a little bit about security um if you really know nothing at all like if my mom was getting into IT I would probably have her do that first but the the problem with that particular certification is that it has no uh, no marketability A plus on the other hand is really good A plus is a good starting point for your IT career I agree with this this was my first certification and it and, and I'll show you where it's marketable I I will show you where it's marketable so number 1 it has a great breakdown of these skills. Now, if you're doing IT for the first time, this will not be easy for you. It wasn't easy for me. You know, it was not easy. Um, you, especially if you're brand new to this. I was in. I was in physical security before this. I hadn't. I had done some security stuff. I'd done computer stuff on my own just for fun. I had my own computer, my own desktop. I would take it apart, put it together, all that kind of stuff. And I have very patience, so I learned it. But the terminology and then some of the types of stuff that you have to use to put a computer together. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I had to learn all that stuff from CompTIA. Now, CompTIA is a great certification. And here's why. Let me show you why. Because even after you take this and you understand how to do troubleshooting, how operating systems work, how, and this basically this is just two certifications, by the way, It's a hardware piece and a software piece It's a core one and a, and a core two. Um, there's two different certifications that you need to take. This is not easy certification and it's not cheap. It's like $500 to take, just to sit down and take it. And you got to study your ass off for this certification. Now, let me show you why I think that this is a good starting certification. Because if you go to 8140, 8140 is what the government uses as a gauge for certifications. You will see the 8140, it includes A plus certification. It's a, it's a IAT Level 1, which is Information Assurance techni- Technical Level 1 certification. That means most federal organizations will acknowledge that this is something that help desk people or customer technical support will use, um, that, that can use to, like, if you have an A-plus certification, you know the basis of hardware, software, troubleshooting, and all that kind of thing. So this is a, this is not a bad certification. There it is right there. So here's another reason. Check this out. If you go to indeed.com, indeed is a is a job search site. And I'll make this larger, so just bear with me. But if we go here and we type in CompTIA, let me show you it's marketable. If you go to if we type in Comtia A plus A plus entry level, you will find jobs for this all over the United States. It's and it's internationally recognized. Now, right now there's only a hundred and uh, 800 jobs for this, but that might be because I put entry level in there. These are all entry level positions. These don't start off making a lot of money. You know, IT, all oh, 100,000, blah, blah, blah. No, this, when you first start out, you know, you're not going to start off making six figures. It's not how this works. You know, this one's $14 an hour, but this is night shift help desk, you know, and it's remote. I mean, think about that. Think about having a remote job working at night you know you can have two two of these jobs, these jobs in theory. <laughs> Not, I wouldn't recommend that. You know to begin with, but yeah. So here you go, fourteen hours, and then what you do is you get one of these jobs with your with your CompTIA A plus certification, and then about after six months, if if you don't like the job or if you want to level up quickly, you will put that on your resume. All your experience, you would go ahead and put it on your resume, and then guess what? You're now eligible for a job making. Thirty dollars an hour or forty dollars an hour, right? Depending on where you live, and it's it it kind of depends on where you live and stuff like that. But but yeah, that's that's what I would do. I'll get an A plus certification to start, and then from there you can also get other certifications. Probably a better one would be Security Plus. Once you get to Security Plus, that's where that's where the real uh, game starts. You know, (laughs) the real game starts when you get like a a Security Plus. Or when you have about a year in of of IT experience under your belt, then that's when you could play the you can you can get some bigger numbers and it, you're in you you're gonna play the game for real at that point you know so that's what I would do if I had no experience at all. Uh, let me see any other questions. Thank you guys for watching on TikTok. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Um, I'm trying to let me see if I can bear with me real quick. I'm gonna see if I can. Grab uh, some some training. Somebody asked me about the CMMC. Let me see if I can grab that real quick. Um, I'm just going to have to take a minute to like log in to get my stuff here because I've done this one before. And um, I I have a like a nice little breakdown of it. I have a whole video on it. I, I want to say I've done at least two videos, but I could be wrong about that. And um, this is. It was a lot easier than I thought it was gonna be, and it made a lot of sense. And just off the top of my head, I could tell you that CMMC is another security framework. I've been talking to you guys about security compliance and what it means. Well, there's many different kinds of security compliance. What I've been talking to you about mostly is government security compliance, but there's also ones for hospitals, and there's one for uh, financial sector, and there's ones for all kinds. Every sector has their own like brand of security controls that are best practices for that industry. And some of them have specialized for that particular industry. And so you don't have to learn all of these things. And and the funny thing is if some of these, if you know them, you pretty much know them all. And that's something I'm just now discovering. And it's it's really incredible. It's really incredible that one security control uh, can give you one can, can security control family or framework can give you that much knowledge on so many other ones. For example, from me knowing how to do security control, um, NIST eight hundred, I'm I'm proficient at uh, PCI compliance, um, ISO twenty seven thousand one, and um, healthcare. Like I, because I know that whenever I'm introducing, like, hey hey Bruce, can you do this uh, PCI compliance? And I'm like, well, I haven't done it before, but let me take a look. And I'll take a look, I'm like, I know all these controls. <laughs> I know. Yeah, of course, we have to look at the, make sure there's continuous monitoring. Of course, we gotta make sure that these two networks don't touch and have documentation on it. Like once you know one, you, you kind of have a real good understanding of all the rest. Okay, so it looks like I'm logged in here. Let me uh, bring up my slide deck. And see, I'm kind of rusty on this one, so I just want to make sure I'm not lying to anybody. Um, let me see here, and uh, let me let me. Okay, she said. Let me see the link. Let me see if I can find that as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a summary of what CMMC is, like a high level, and then I will forward you to um, a deeper dive in C CMMC. Let me just bear with me guys. Okay, let me see if I can find find it. Convo courses. Yeah, okay, yep. Here's the video I did. Yeah, okay. Whoa, this is this is good stuff, man. I have to admit. I have to admit. Okay, let me see if I can if I can send this link. Yeah, okay, there's the link. I, if you have watched me on YouTube, I just put the link in there to the CCM, C, uh, MMC. But let me show you. I'm gonna walk you guys through like a summary of what this control family is. Um, let me kind of show you what um this is something I did a while ago, and um, it's called CMMC. Is uh, hold on, let me switch my screen here. This is the cybersecurity maturity model certif- certification for organizations, and this is used for organiz- contractors who have a con- who have a an agreement with the government. Like let's say there's an organization who supplies tires, Humvee tires, to the army. They have a contract to supply a certain thing. Tires for Humvees to the directly to the Army into the Department of Defense. Right, so now they have to have specifications on the Humvees. They're probably not available to the public. They have to have access to uh, different contexts within the Department of Defense, and so they now now they're dealing with sensitive information. Now it's protected information. It's contractor protected sensitive info data. So. This is not data that necessarily is like classified or it's not like TSSEI information, but it's, it's sensitive enough to where we have to have some levels of protection on that. And this is specifically for contractors. This is for people like Lockheed Martin, um, different smaller organizations. And it's really for defense. The terminology that they use a lot in this is defense industry, uh, defense industry base. So this is organizations who supply things to the Department of Defense. That's the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, uh, even probably even includes Department of Homeland Security. So that is what CMMC is. It's, it's a standard for these organizations who supply any kind of any kind of information or technology to the government but they don't necessarily have federal systems but they have the federal data some of the federal data now why is this important why is it important that we protect this data because what's happening lately is that um uh, russian and and um the ccp and other organizations iran like not even even our even u.s allies What's happening is the nations are are doing these cyber attacks against one another and they're stealing information from each other. And the U.S. does this as well. Every organization, every country and government does this. They'll steal information from this other country. And so they're, they're going off to softer targets. So it's hard to go against the, say, the, the army who has all kinds of security on their systems. But it's easy to go after somebody like, say, a Northrop Grumman. Or a space dynamic laboratory, so they'll attack them and steal their information that's going to the Department of Defense, and that's why CMMC is so important. So, what is what data are they protecting? So, they're protecting what's called uh, controlled unclassified information. So, this is this is information that is controlled by the government. It requires safeguards, and it's it is it has to be compliant with government policies like FISMA or like um, some privacy standards, Privacy Act of 1974 um, and other government policies and laws that are in place to protect that data for the government or for individuals in the government. So um, examples of, of, of CUI or controlled unclassified information is legal information, healthcare information, technical drawings, blueprints, stuff like that. One example that I always give about why this is important is the CCP actually stole this. See these two planes right here. If you happen to be listening to me, I'm looking at the uh, China's J331 and US F35. You can see that these systems are very, very, very uh, similar, and it's because the CCP is much smarter than the US. There, they are much. Let me just repeat that. The Chinese government is way smarter. They make dumb decisions sometimes, that's for sure, with their own people or whatever, right? Uh, Totally, I mean, they make dumbass decisions, but one thing they're good at is engineering. So what they did, rather than spend their own $7 billion to develop their own fighter, they just took it from Lockheed Martin or whatever. They stole the ideas from Lockheed Martin and took a one-for-one and made their own jet Saving themselves a billion dollars and making they're just they're just super brilliant. They're way smarter than than us at this. So, CMMC is is designed to protect uh the smaller people like the I'm not the Lockheed Martin small, but the the defense contractors who don't have the same level of protection as a as the government does. So here's another example of here's a breakdown of what it what it entails so there's 17 uh compatibility domains and they're they're starting to change this model so it's going to change to this other model over here that's why we have these two models side by side but just to kind of give you a birds eye view these are all security controls that an organization has to meet ac controls ir controls ac controls means access control uh, making sure that only authorized people can get on the system and then you've got IR controls which is incident response that's like if we have if we have a hack we think we have a hack we have to make sure that we have a certain process in place to protect that data. So that in a nutshell is what CMMC is uh it's like a it's like I just always describe it as like NIST 800 light. So NIST 800 is a very stringent security control framework that has literally a, over a thousand controls and 18 different families uh it's just very stringent uh it's very detailed and very comprehensive but the CMMC is like a lighter version of it they only have they have 17 domains but there's a lot less controls it might be 100 controls that that an organization has to meet so if you were thinking about starting your own corporation and you wanted to supply uh, a cybersecurity to some, to the army or to the air force, whatever, right? And you have a contract. You might be subject to CMMC, and you you wouldn't have to do all the stuff that a NIST 800 has to do, for example. You you just do the CMMC stuff, and then you would be subject to the Department of Defense doing like a an an ass an, ass, uh, an assessment of your organization of your systems, but it'll be a lot less stringent than something like a, a NIST 800 or even an ISO 27001. So that, in a nutshell, is is a CMMC. Okay, let me see if I have any other questions here. Let me see about TikTok. Um, let me see here. Make sure you have your reviews. Uh, make sure you you have your reviews are done. That your reviews are done. Okay, let me see. Comptia is great for starters and beginners. Yes. Security Plus is good is a good start. Yes, yeah, Security Plus is awesome. Udemy is a good resource. Yeah, Udemy is a very good resource for, for, for beginners, that's for sure. Um can cybersecurity make you a lot of money? Yes. Yes. Let me allow me to demonstrate. I can speak on this one. So first of all, um, how can I put this and not get in trouble? Um Hmm. So, okay, cybersecurity. Um, I've been doing this for a while. I'm I'm currently making mid six. I'm, make, I'm making six figures. Let's just put it that way. And uh, <laughs> and so uh, I'm working from home, making six figures. Um, that that's not to be honest. It's not a lot of you know. It's not a lot. But you know, I'm not I'm not a millionaire. Um, but I'm doing okay for myself. And I'm working from home. I'm doing, you know, I'm have time with my family and stuff. It's nice. Um, let me give you an idea how much a secure cybersecurity person can make on average. So what I'm doing here is I'm just gonna go to, I'm gonna go to Google. And I'm just gonna type in cybersecurity analyst salary, and I want to show you what the average salary of a cybersecurity analyst is. Uh, So I don't don't know if you guys can see that, but um, let me make it a little bit bigger. So that that is the average salary for a cybersecurity analyst. Um, And this one's from 2015, and this one's from 2021. So not only is it more money than most Americans make, but it's also increasing over time. And it's been increasing since I've been in it. So the average is saying the average salary is about 82000 a year across the United States. It really depends on what state you're in because in some states, it's actually quite a bit more than that. Uh, let, me, let me look at another salary. So let's look at another cybersecurity job is inform, information system security officer. So that's about 80 right that's and that really depends on what state and how much experience you have and things like that that's uh the average salary of information system security officer by state uh let me show you another one let's just type in cyber security officer average salary eighty thousand about eighty thousand dollars this is you know, we're not talking about crazy numbers, but this is more than most people make. And it really depends on the state you're in. I could tell you this, um, if you live in the state of Maryland, it's it's going to be a lot higher than 80,000. Um, here's another thing. Here's another thing I want to point out to you, why everybody's talking about cybersecurity. And here's, here's the reason why. Cybersecurity is recession-proof uh, because we need a lot of people. Recently, this year, the government announced that there's a need to fill uh, something like 700,000 jobs. Um, you've been hearing about all of the stuff going on with TikTok, with um, with um, w- Twitter uh, letting 37,000 people go. They've been, uh, I think Facebook let 11,000 people go recently. And uh, everybody's getting hit. By this recession, the entertainment industry, the search engines, the all the big guys, what's known as FANG or Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix and Google, all those guys, the top guys who are paying people crazy money, by the way, uh, they're hit hard by the by what's going on with this recession we're having right now. But you know what's not being hit? And actually, are having increased salaries. It's cybersecurity, in in necessary fields. It's cybersecurity. Like I have not. And this the, the same thing happened in two thousand and eight. In two thousand and eight, that was a legit crash, man. People were losing their jobs. People were losing their houses. It was it was real. But for me, I got a raise. I got more money because I've been in cybersecurity, and now it's no different. I'm making more money now. Than I ever have in my life in cybersecurity, and I'm, this is not an exaggeration. It's because cybersecurity is in, in desperate need of more people. That's what's that's that's really what's happening right now. It's we need people, and um, they're 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 willing to teach people from scratch. There's they're opening up the doors and the floodgates for it, so. That's that's kind of what's happening right now. Mike O says most ISSO and cybersecurity control uh, security control assessor jobs require a U.S. citizen, U.S. citizenship. Yes. Uh, I have been. Um, I've I have seen much for permanent resident. I think maybe you mean I haven't seen much, but I can I can talk to this one, uh, Mike. Uh, so, this is true. Information Systems Security Officer and SEA work. Um, usually you need to be eligible for a eligible for a security clearance. Okay, bear with me here. Switch this screen. Okay. You got to be what's called eligible for security clearance. Like if you're getting a secret clearance or if you're getting a top secret clearance, you have to be eligible, which means you have to be a U.S. citizen. That is true, for the, especially for the federal government. But there are jobs. My last position... I worked in Verizon, and they only needed a uh, what's called a public trust. And a public trust is not a security clearance. The public trust just means that you they can trust you with important information. Uh, important information as far as like vulnerabilities for banks or vulnerabilities for a hospital or vulnerabilities for whoever, right? So public trust just means okay, can we trust this guy with this important data? And so they'll do like a quick summary background check on you that last i don't know a couple days or whatever they look they look at your like credit history make sure you're not in like super debt that somebody can use the leverage over you to get something from some organization or that you're not going to do anything crazy to get more money or something like that they look at your criminal background like that not to say you can't have some criminal history but if it's certain things that might be a red flag to them making sure you're not involved with any terrorist activity like some things that are usually obvious, but every now and then it comes up. You'd be surprised. So, public trust is is good enough, and that doesn't require you a citizenship. And I did that at Verizon, which is a top tier uh, um, telecom in the United States. So, just because you can't be an information system security officer, doesn't mean you can't be a cybersecurity consultant. Just because you can't be a SCA. A security control assessor for the government doesn't mean you can't be a security auditor, cybersecurity auditor for a bank. You know what I mean? So these jobs are out there. You just have to know where to look. And so in my book, by the way, if you're interested, Mike Owen, other people who might be watching this, in my in my world famous book, I actually talk about this. I want to discuss it with you real quick. This book is called, if you go to Amazon you can go to combocourses.com and get it directly off of my site, but you can also go to Amazon, Amazon.com, and you could type in cyber security jobs, and then you can uh, you can find uh, my book, which breaks down how to market yourself, and there's an audio book for this if you're not a big reader. You know, um, or you don't have time to sit down and read a book, or if you do, you know, you can get the paperback for this book. And why is this so cheap? Did I what's going on with this? What did are they making my book cheaper or something? Anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> $13 for the Kindle if you if you want to read it there. Um, and then there's an audio book for this book, so it's called Cybersecurity jobs resume marketing it's in link description if you're interested in this this is telling you how I've been able to not only survive but thrive in cybersecurity and it doesn't you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to use this this tactic that I use once you read through it you'll be like of course it's one of those things that you're going to be like of course yeah of course you're going to get a job if you do that but I'm I've been using it for years. It's worked for me. I've I've had some friends use the same thing and they're now working six-figure jobs and getting more and more offers all the time from that. So if you're interested, go ahead and check out my book. If not, watch all my videos. You can go to YouTube, watch my free videos and I break it. literally I have videos where I break down from start to finish what you need to do. But in the meantime, you can also download my free resume. I have a free resume, my resume that you can download as a sample. And then you can just go through my free resume, use it for your, you can literally copy my resume down and then use what I put, like the wording, like obviously don't copy exactly what, you know, but you can use the same wording and that resume is gold. I've been getting jobs from that resume for years. It's because it's an ATS, what's called an ATS style resume. And then I tell you how to market it in that video. So... All I want for Christmas is is your ISO course. <laughs> I'll wait for it to go on sale, um, or do you have a discount code? I have better than a discount code. Better than a discount code. I have I have a book on this. Now that you mention it, now that you mention it, sorry, I'm gl- I'm glad you brought that up because this is a great opportunity for te- you to tell you to tell you about an incredible offer that I have right now. An incredible offer right now if you're interested in this book right here you go to Google, you go to uh, amazon.com type in cybersecurity jobs or you can go in link in description and, and the book is is all about how to get these jobs <clears throat> or if you want to actually do ISO an ISO course you do this you go to RMF ISO by Bruce Brown, and then you can, there's two books. I have two books in the series. This one is entry level, breaks it all down. Look at this, it's $18. So the course is like $100, $200. This is $18, like if you wanna just get straight to it, look at all these reviews, look at all these excellent reviews. Some hater gave me a one, but that's because the guy's jealous. <laughs> no, but this is a great breakdown of how to do the security control families. And this is an audio book, by the way. If you don't want to, if you want to like listen to it over and over again and understand, here it is right here. It's up to you. You know, you can also get it for free. Um, how do I get the resume, please? If you want to get the resume, go to uh, go to link in, in description. You can go to combocourses.com. Um, you can go to, um, as a matter of fact, I'll show you right here, combocourses.com. Go to combocourses.com. And then you can go to right here. This right here, the first page will show you how to, to get there. The first page. Boom. That's the resume right there. Free resume downloadable. Three sample resumes. This is not like you know, a lot of a lot of people out there, they'll give you uh, the you know a sample resume. That's one thing, an example of how you do an ATSI resume. This is literally a downloadable sample. like It's literally a cybersecurity uh, resume. I have used myself with the proper wording that you need to actually get the job. Thank you. No problem. So there you go. Um, And uh, let me see if there's any other questions. I got, man, I'm getting a lot of questions on. Um, Is it too late to start in your mid-40s? Absolutely not. So Uh, And the reason why I say it's not too late to start in IT is because um, we need more mature people anyway. So it will take you a good, depending on how studious you are, if you're very good at studying, it could take you maybe six months to learn this stuff if you know absolutely nothing. And there's tons of books out there that will break down how to get into uh, IT because that's where you need to start. What I always recommend people do is use um, CompTIA A-plus as a, as a way to learn. Uh, not only a way to learn, but a way to earn. Because after you study it enough to actually pass the the, uh, I, the IT certification known as a plus. And if you want to find this for yourself, go to Google, Bing, wherever you go to, and type in CompTIA A-plus. A with a plus. You'll find the site there. Um, you'll find where where that is. And once you go through that course and you can get the books from Amazon or wherever, like not for me, I'm, I'm not even, like I don't even have an A plus book. I'm just telling you this because that was the first certification I got. And it told me, it broke down the basics. It broke down uh, what I need to know for networks, network stuff, what I need to know, the basics of security what i need to know for software hardware uh, what is what does it mean when somebody says a client server model what does it mean when somebody says um when what are how do you put a computer together how do you troubleshoot it what are the components of a computer how does the cpu work with the motherboard work with the ram work with the storage right all those pieces are important because if a system gets hacked you need to know like what well okay where what are we protecting and why is this virus so so brutal? Why is it so important for how can we protect the CPU that's being attacked by this virus? That's why you need to know you had to have you have to have an understanding of what to do. So at 40 years old, you actually have an advantage because you're gonna have the self-discipline if you're very interested in this to actually go through with it. and then once you get in this field, you have the maturity, To to help people with problems, because that's what this whole thing's about problem solving with people, with humans. And so some younger people have struggled with talking to people. As a 40-year-old person, you're gonna come in, you know, that's not gonna be a problem for you, right? Once you learn the stuff, and that is a problem from a lot of smart IT guys. They're not very good with dealing with people, you know. I don't know if you if you if you really look at how Elon Musk is a great example, he's 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 brilliant. He's a smart dude. You know, I don't take nothing from him, but he's not very good. He's not very good with people. You can see that playing out on Twitter. He's, he's and I, I found a lot of guys in this field much smarter than me, but they're not very good with people. They're not very good, uh, uh, with people. That's <laughs> like I don't know how else to put it. Uh, let me see. Somebody said. Um, Jemaya says. I passed my cap exam last week working on the security plus now struggling to get a remote job. Any advice? Yes, I do have advice on this. Um, let me give me give me a second. Let me let me break this down for you. This is this is a golden opportunity for you guys to tell tell you guys about how I do it. I've been doing. Let me just set this up for you. I've been doing remote work for the since 2014 and I've had since then, I've had probably six jobs six different jobs doing, um, working remotely. And, um, I've got something to say about this. Number one, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it, it's awesome. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, it's incredible. I love working from home and, uh, I don't think I'll ever be going back to be honest with you. I don't think there's anything that's going to make me go back to working in an office or commute. I hate commutes, um, I do. Sometimes I miss some of my some of my coworkers, you know, some of my awesome, more awesome people that I love to meet in person. Um, But. I I would not trade it to to work from an office again. What I'm trying to do right now is bring up my actual book. I wrote a book on how to get these jobs. And so it's let me see if I can bring that up real quick. I'm going to walk you guys through my book. It's a short book. I just wrote it i'm going through the editing and, and uh the editing and the uh um framing process right now formatting i should say process right now and this let me bring this up real quick and uh why is it doing that okay there we go there we go so what i'm gonna do is walk you through how i do this in a few easy steps all right So if you're interested in working from home in cybersecurity or really any job, this will work for you. All right. Hopefully, you guys on TikTok can see this. And uh, let me switch my screen real quick. Um, Here we go. Working remotely. All right. So first of all, let me me preface this by telling you that it's not easy to do. Um, It's not easy because it's way more competitive to work from home. It, it takes a lot more doing and um, you need to know if this is for you. Another thing, it's not for everybody. If you love, if you're an extrovert, it's, I don't recommend doing working from home because a lot of times you'll be, you'll feel lonely. It, it won't feel good. If, extroverts have a hard time working from home. I know that may be hard to believe, but I'm telling you, if you have a lot of small kids or dogs or something, you can't have them be quiet. You know, if you if there's not a place where you can go and um and be have quiet, if you have poor Internet or electricity issues, then this is this, you're going to struggle with working from home. If you have poor self-discipline, I would not recommend doing work from home um, since so there's some challenges to it. OK, it's not for everyone. It's not. I'm telling you, it's not for everybody. I've had really close friends that can't do it because they don't have the self-discipline to do it. Um, you can't always travel. You can't always do staycations because sometimes to be honest, you're working even more from home than you're working outside of the home, but how you do it, let's, let's get right into how you do it. So the first thing I am in this book that I'm going to release here real soon. And if you guys are following me, I usually give these books out for free in the beginning. I give all kinds of incentives to, to, uh, for you guys. So just follow me. My newsletter's coming out very soon about this book where I'll be giving out free stuff on this. But anyway, but in the meantime, let's just break this down. There are challenges. I talk about that in the book. Um, What you need to do is make sure you have a stable environment. Make sure you're ready for this because it's not for everyone. Um, You're going to your Internet, your needs. Okay, so you're going to need at least uh, three megabits or more. And uh, for a stable Internet connection, I would recommend two different Internet connections. Get as fast an Internet connection as you can get. You don't have to have like a gig or something like that. I'd say that probably the optimal speed you want to get is at least uh, at least like a 10 gigabit uh, is what you really need. You could do it from your phone, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, uh, what else do you need? Um, you need security. You need physical security. You need network security. If you don't have those things, then you're really going to struggle with this. Uh, what else do you need? Let me see. And bear with me. I'm Like I said, I'm literally writing this as we speak. Um, There's some rules to it, but I won't go into that in this in this particular talk. I want to go into how you get it. There's types of work from home. I won't go into that. Uh, Work remote access. Okay. Uh, fine. Okay. here we go. How do you find a work from home job? Here's how you do. I'm going to show you live how to do it. Okay. How I've been able to do it all these years. Number one. You need to have a resume that focuses on remote work. How do you do that? There's a couple things that you can do right off the bat. You have a current resume right now? Uh you can download my resume here by the way and uh this breaks down half of most of what you need for your resume. Uh, ATS style resume. Okay. So, what do you need on your on your resume? Let me let me show you a couple things. In the summary of your re- on on the resume, what I normally do is I say right up top Work from home preferred or remote work preferred. You want to put that in the resume when before you market it, before you give it to people. That's one of the first things you need to do. In the summary of your resume, work from home preferred. Right away, tell them, hey, I want remote remote work. Okay. That this right here, this wording right here is what I do. Work from home preferred on your resume on the top. Okay. You'd be surprised how many people call you just based off of that. Then another thing you want to do is make sure any kind of remote work that you've done, any kind of remote work you've done, you've got to put it in your actual resume. How do you do that? So when you're first listing out the job, you can put something like, "Well, I worked at Oracle and I, it, that was remote." Like normally you'll put like, "Oh, I worked from New Jersey, I worked from Colorado, I worked from you know wherever, Colorado Springs." Right here, you want to put remote. So now, right away, you're telling them, hey, I've worked remote before. If you work remote before. Now, if you never worked remote before, guess what? Let me just, let me just, if you have worked any kind of IT at all, if you have it in, if you have worked any kind of IT, now listen carefully. If you have worked any IT at all, more than likely you have done remote work. Let me explain. So think about it like this. Any organization you've worked at, have you had off-site? Have you had sites that are not located in the same office? Like even if it's in another city or if it's across the street or if it's across some other part of the world. In that case, to do the work, you're literally working. You're doing remote work. Like when you have telecom meetings with your... Coworkers who are in located in Las Vegas and you're working in California, you are literally doing work remotely. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you to lie and say, "Oh, well, I work remotely. I was in an office, but I was working remotely with my coworkers." You know, we're not trying to trick them, but what we're trying to do is tell them, explain to them on your resume that you have worked on projects that. You had to collaborate remotely on because more than likely you have you've used the tools that you've used zoom calls before you know how to use teams you know how to use collaborative tools where everybody has to have to use these tools to work remotely so you, in your resume you need to establish that yes i understand zoom i've used zoom before to complete this whole project we use teams before to i can i can work um Uh, independently. That's another thing you need to explain to them is like, I, because in remote work, a lot of times you have to work completely independently. You can't, somebody can't hold your hand all the time. You got to be able to do what's right when nobody's looking. Self-discipline. It takes a lot. So in your resume, you want to explain that. So that's another thing that you want to do. Let me explain, let me go a little bit further in what you need to do. Now here's, here's the one of the most important parts that anytime, weird thing is when people ask me this advice, they get the resume part, um, they get that, they put that in their resume, I help them with their resume, but one thing they don't do is one of the most important pieces, which is to put your damn resume everywhere. Put your resume everywhere. What do I mean by that? Let me just give you an example. So you wanna put your resume you want to put your resume on the top 10, I'm trying to find it in here, on the top 10 sites, uh, job search sites in your country, whatever country you're trying to get in. If it's in the US, I could tell you a couple off the top of my head. If it's in the US, at the very least, uh, you need to put your resume on LinkedIn, Indeed.com, Monster, Dice, ZipRecruiter, you want to put it on all top ten job sites, all of them. And then that's not enough because it's a remote job. The remote jobs go very quickly. So here's another thing you you ha- gonna have to do. You gonna have to be very aggressive about it. Here's how I've been able to get jobs. This is this is how I've been able to do it. I'm gonna show you right now. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do LinkedIn. I don't normally do LinkedIn. By the way, if you guys are interested in connecting with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm about to show you my real LinkedIn account. Um man, hopefully this thing doesn't crash. It looks like it just crashed on me. Wow, this thing just crashed on me.